Hey, hello, how are you? This is a show for everyone else. Instead of going after top 1% of the world, we dedicate this podcast to celebrate the lives of the unsung heroes and self-made artists. Hi guys, this is Fei Wu, and you're listening to the Face World podcast. Today on the show, meet Brandon Voss, who is the son of Chris Voss, author of Never Split the Difference, and a two-time Face World podcast guest. Brandon is the director of operations for the Black Swan Group, founded by Chris. Together, as father and son, they teach hostage negotiation skills to solve business negotiation problems. I, I love the word leverage. I tell people and I talk about that there's always more options than you think. So I think it really opens up a lot of opportunity. And it's true. This is not bluff. I think we oftentimes give up. We're given before we explore all the opportunities. I, I couldn't agree with you more in, in, in negotiation. I mean, our, our phrase, which is along the same lines, is don't be so sure of what you want that you wouldn't accept something better. And, and a lot of that is when, you know, when people get you, you get so focused on what your own data and what your own justifications are that it inhibits your ability to explore what else is going on here. And I think so. I think that's great. I love I love the more options than you think. And I, yeah, I love that. I, I love that idea. And one of the reasons, Brandon, why I always had to think that way was because growing up, you know, like you, I, I grew up to like very successful parents. And I feel like, oh, it's a little overshadowed by them. Maybe we should talk about that too. Um, but, you know, coming to this country at the age of 17 with $3,000 in my pocket, not knowing with no skills or the right age to make more money, I was pretty freaked out and deep inside and I had to bury that. So wherever I went, I always had to think oh, there's definitely more options, right? From smaller decisions to much, much bigger ones, whether to apply to college, finding a job. I'm thinking, especially when I feel I'm stuck, that I always think I haven't fully explored the options. Um, so, you know, that's sort of my point of view uh, on a lot of things and kind of reminder to myself, um, so to speak. So thank, thanks for that. Um, of course, of course. And I, and I, and I, and I also... I always enjoy meeting people that are either not originally from the United States or they're like first generation, right? Their parents came over here and and when they were very young or something along those lines, because those type of people are built differently than the ones that are, have the privilege of being born in this country. There's a, there's a perspective on the way that you look at life and what it takes to succeed and drive that I feel like as a, as natural born Americans, you know, we don't, we, we, we kind of have to learn that, you know, if we learn it at all, you know, there's, there's another, a good client of ours that's, you know, his, his father, you know, ran a small business in, uh, in South America and spent a lot of time on the road, you know, driving goods from, from one place to another. And, you know, they, they struggled and he fought his way up and, you know, now he works for a, a giant, airline company that is still in business, you know, not one of the ones that got bought up or, or disappeared. 
and has been with that airline company since they had one plane. And it's just, it's interesting to talk to him and get his perspective on how he looks at things. So the way you see things and what you've been through and where you've gotten yourself to today, you know, it, just, it would just be fun to hear about. And what you just said, Ren, reminded me like about your client's story. He's yeah. been there since plane number one. I can even see the label on it. Like, this is it. This is all we got, right? I feel like you and your dad lived through something very similar. And and now, as I'm talking about it, it makes more sense because I, I know when I hear your dad speak about you, I know it's so, there's something he's so appreciative and he's so proud and not just because he's a dad, but there's something that you guys really live through together. And I think at the beginning in 2010, 11, seeking out the first few clients, making mistakes that you have to make, not because you're not a professional, because you were already. Imagine if you're just a business partner, imagine how many fallouts people have had during difficult times. I can name dozens, literally among my own friends and connections I know, people are no longer friends, they stopped speaking to each other, or it didn't work, it took years to recover, but yet you you stuck around. So I, I definitely want to hear maybe one story or something that you recall from that period of time. Yeah, that's, that's, a, that's a great point, I think. And it might not be one specific story as opposed to like a mix of, of different events, but I, I agree with you. I think, you know, unfortunately, there is a lot of fallout, especially when, you know, when you hit hard times. And having to really, you know, as they say, right, pick yourself up by your own bootstraps and 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 really and and grind through it. In a lot of ways, I think my father and I are very lucky. We're very we're blessed in a lot of ways to have the relationship that we have because we've always been close. And I think there's been different times where we've been at each other's throats over different things. You know, this uh, business decision or the way that we're handling a client or the way that we're executing certain things, which. You know, as you look back on it, it seemed like small problems. Like, why would you, why would you risk hurting your relationship over that? But at those times, I think our foundational relationship as father and son is what kept us together in a, in a lot of ways. You know, because I, I, I think in a lot of ways, we also both realized we needed each other. And I think if we weren't, if we weren't family, you know, if we didn't have the relationship that we had, there probably are a few different times that, that may have broken us. And, and, and what kept us together was that, was that family relationship. And, and I'm trying to think of, you know, it's, it's funny, we, even in negotiation context, we talk about, you know, you don't remember things how they happened. You remember things how they made you feel. Which is why when people recall conversations, they have trouble coming up with all the exact phrases that were said back and forth. But they can they can explain in great detail how they felt in the moment and what they were getting from the other person that made them feel that way. And so, you know, uh, keeping that in mind, I, you know, I can't think of anything specific, but I, de- I definitely remember certain points where, you know, my father and I, we had to, we had to separate ourselves from each other and just take time to breathe because, you know, the arguments at times would, would get heated enough. and and. You know, one thing I can't remember, it wasn't necessarily a breaking point, but I felt like, you know, I didn't give him the right amount of warning and I feel like I, I could have done more and we were both frustrated in the moment and it, it, did, it ended up not helping either one of us. And it was in regards to the contract in 2010, a lot of people from the Middle East that came for this program were also former military. 
And several of them were high-ranking military and had been around for a long time. And when we got into this whole, you know, how do we negotiate, how do we communicate better, your rank in the military did not dictate your ability to negotiate with a hostage taker. And I think that's one of the things that they had trouble making a connection to. And so when we got ready to assign team leaders for hostage negotiation with this group, many of the team leaders were not the highest ranking people in the room. And so, you know, back then, since I handled a lot of logistics, I spent more one-on-one time with the group from the Middle East, right? Like we, if they wanted to go out, they'd take me with them uh, and, and, you know, and, and, and treat us well and, and those things. And when they want to sit down and talk, they'd always, they'd pull a person like me aside to have that conversation. And, and so I had a really good insight into how they personally felt about the program, as opposed to having an instructor's insight into like, what information do we want them to have? And so I, I sat I sat my father down and I tried to explain to him because we, we were getting ready to start. I think the segment of this training was called the, the Leadership School. And just based on the name, if you're a high-ranking officer in the military and there's a leadership school, you think that you should probably be a part of it, especially if you've got a track record for being a good leader. Again, it doesn't make you a great negotiator. And so I kind of saw this train coming at us. We're getting ready to start the leadership school. We're going to admit several people that are not the highest ranking people in the room, and there's going to be an uproar. They're going to, they're going to kick and scream, and they're going to have real problems with this. And I pulled my father aside to try to explain to him that the freight train was coming. You know, it's one of those things. He was distracted. He's thinking about a lot of other things, and I'm trying to tell him as opposed to negotiate with him. Right? If, uh, I think Ronald Reagan was the president that said, if you're explaining, you're losing. And that's, that's a concept that we've also brought to negotiation. So I, got, I sat him down and I tried to explain to my father what the problem was and that he didn't see it and he needed to listen to what his son had to say. And it didn't go over very well. You know, it's not that we got into a huge fight, but we didn't actually accomplish anything. And of course, 24 hours later, when we started the leadership school and we split the group up, there was an uproar. You know, there was even a bit of a, uh, like a protest where people didn't want to go to class because they didn't think that they that they were that they were put in the proper place. And that was a big enough deal internally that I mean it put a real dent in our relationship with our client at that point. And I know that, you know, that, that all comes down to my father, right? He's he's the guy that started the company. He's running all the training while we have several people on staff. You know, he's the scapegoat. He's where everything comes back down to. Even though he didn't place everybody at the end of the day, he's going to be the scapegoat because he's the one who's ultimately responsible. And I know that was really tough on him, you know, both from the participant group and from, you know, the client that we were trying to serve. And, and I felt like I, I could have, I should have done more. Like, I, you know, I, I'm in a situation where like I could have, would have, should have, right? I feel like I, I should have did a better job helping my father understand and, and things like that. And, and that was really tough on us. But again, it was, it was another great learning experience. You know, I think Looking back on it, you know, I almost don't even know if I would change it if I could, just because we learned so much of the process. And that probably goes with even even the heated arguments we've had. You know, I don't know if I'd necessarily change them because we've learned so much from all of that. What's, what's really interesting about what you said, and I, I agree that it's one, it's probably unavoidable, and two, 
and it's really necessary to have that level of friction and the process to realize how even just among you two, between you two, how you could work better together because you you had never really worked in that capacity before. I think right, your relationship changed in a way drastically from father and son to partners. And and even those roles could change, even as partners and, and during these negotiations and kind of client relationships that you continue to shift. And I say that because... I have never really officially worked with my mom. My mom is in a kind of a similar position like your father, who's really led me to a lot of opportunities. And, you know, and recently we found ourselves in a similar situation. And and then I realized how much more emotional she gets when she and I together are negotiating, you know, with a business, with a third party, with a business partner, because there are things that I witnessed that she would struggle. She realizes what she's struggling. And especially when she feels as if not necessarily people are attacking me, but if people are disagreeing with me or questioning some of the things, decisions I made, makes her feel really worked up in that um, situation. So there are so many dynamics that now I'm learning and dealing with working with my mom alongside that I never realized before. I was like, oh, I, none of this was part of the calculation. I didn't expect both of us to kind of spin out of control, but it's really good to have that experience at the beginning. Um, yeah, yeah, I'd agree with that. And, and you know, to quote uh, Todd Camp, and Todd is, is Jim Camp's son. Jim is, is the author of the book, Start With No, which is a book that we recommend on a regular basis in addition to ours. And there's a lot of great insights in there. So for those of you that are listening, Start With No by Jim Camp is also a great read. But his son Todd now runs uh, their business. And, and it's a, you know, they're, they're the, the, negotiation, uh, the negotiation institute. And they, they do a lot of online training. And one way that he describes negotiation is he, he describes it as a human performance event. And I've always thought that that was a great way to look at it, especially because as you mentioned, right, the, the emotions that are involved. And when you come when it comes to family, family businesses or just family in general, family communication, you know, your family. So for all intents and purposes, the emotions are much more intense than they would be with some with, you know, Joe Blow off the street. You know, they're their family, they actually mean something to you. And, and you know, it's not always flowers and roses as far as what they mean to you, right? When it comes to family. So you're much more emotionally charged when you're negotiating or communicating with family just because of the nature of your relationship with one another. The people that really get good with our skills that we teach in the book and that we teach with, with people one-on-one and, and in small groups, they always say, when, when they feel they're perfectly fluent, they still always say the hardest part of negotiating is controlling my own emotions in the moment. Hey guys, this is Fei Wu, and you're listening to the Face World podcast. Today on the show, meet Brandon Voss, who is the son of Chris Voss, author of Never Split the Difference, and a two-time Face World podcast guest. Brandon is the director of operations for the Black Swan Group, founded by Chris. Together, as father and son, they teach hostage negotiation skills to solve business negotiation problems.
So, you know, another the takeaway from that, you know, even if you feel as though you're an expert in that field, the emotionally charged aspects of the communication are still the most difficult to deal with. And then that's exacerbated, you know, even more so when you're family. And it comes down to your ability to perform with other human beings in this very, you know, you have skin in the game, you know, that our, our, our future is very closely tied to the agreement that we come to, you know, how, how important that aspect is. And, and again, the, the, the dealing with the emotions, which is why we say emotional intelligence is so important. And, and even online, right, yeah, or, or different researches you can do, being emotionally intelligent is also very closely tied to success. And that's success in business, that's success in your personal life, and also in negotiation. Absolutely. And then I'm glad you brought up another example of sort of a father and son uh, partnership. Sometimes I, I find myself or find people speaking to family business in a kind of an extreme case, like don't do it, don't go down that path. And granted, many people would fail, like, you know, what we just described, it, it, the emotionally charged. I know precisely what you mean by that, right? And mm -hmm. I think we've all been there. And what I find also is that, you know, the idea of being overshadowed by our parents, my mom, in this case, 37 years of the Forbidden City, world-renowned mm -hmm. artist, right? She had a mm -hmm. painting of the MFA in Boston back in the 80s, and she's 66 and still getting hired. Like, people are looking to hire her to do work. I'm so proud. I'm so happy for her. Mm -hmm. um, but I wonder how you balance that. What is that message or sort of ways that could help people overcome that? because you can do great things together or how to look at it differently, perhaps? Yeah, it's a, it's a really good question. And, and, and I may get this phrase wrong, but I think, I think as the phrase goes, if you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. And so, yeah, in a lot of ways, you know, my my father's, you know, his resume and, and the history of what he's done and what he's accomplished overshadows, uh, overshadows me. And, and but there's two really good things about that. Um, number one, you got to give credit where credit is due. Right. I, I wasn't flying all over the world uh, saving people's lives. Right. I wasn't I wasn't briefing uh, the president's. At, at the time for the United States on what my activities were, right? Like he was doing all those cool things. And, um, but what's great about that from a business perspective, you know, that's the marketable piece that has helped get us to where we are today. You know, like being able to make, bring that sexiness, if you will, to the world and have people look at it and say, ah, you know what, maybe there's something that they can, they have that, that I can learn too. And and I'll tell you, there's there's a lot of former hostage negotiators, right? There's a there's Chris is not the only one, but he's probably the only if you know of any at all, he's probably the only one you can name. And there's there's a lot of hostage negotiators that have written books. You know, just you can even Google hostage negotiators and books and you'll find plenty. And there's plenty that have gone into business, but we have no idea who they are. And, and so, you know, that, that sexy piece of it and, and his resume, I mean, is, is a platform for what has kind of springboarded us to where we are now. And so, you know, it's not like I can necessarily be mad at that, uh, even though I, I probably when I was younger, I guess, I guess maybe it bothered me, right? As a kid, he was, he was the most popular, popular parent on career day when he could make it, which was always a cool thing. So I, I guess in, in a lot of ways, I guess I've always just thought it was really cool. So for me personally, it hasn't, 
it hasn't been a huge issue to deal with. And I think, uh, I think a lot of that too is, you know, he also hasn't been overbearing with it. You know, as you said, right. He, 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 uh, he's proud of his son and, and we do have a good relationship. And so I think a lot of that plays in, you know, I guess in, in some ways there are, there are some difficulties to that as well, but so, yeah, I think, I think it's just, I think it's learning how to balance it and it's not an easy thing. I mean, the other part of this is, is it's one of those things that it always sounds easy. It's easier said than done, but you don't really appreciate it unless you're going through it. And then on top of that, it's also, it's not an easy endeavor at all times. Right. Oh, I love how you summarize this and kind of gives me new insights too. When we're living in that bubble, because every situation, every parent-child relationship is unique, you sort of see as far as you can, living in your own experiences, but you know, talking to talking to you, talking to my friends who have uh, lived through that and in a way that you've had a very successful partnership. And I'm not pressuring you to say this is this should be what you do for the rest of your life, but clearly it's at the moment is something you enjoy very much. Um, the one one area I know that I ask some really difficult questions, and I'm so thankful that you are willing to explore in those areas because I think people really need to know. And and but now there's some I think way more lighthearted questions. Um, a couple of them I want to explore is so you said that you and your dad oftentimes walk into a room people didn't realize you're related. And instead of taking it personally and get angry at it, but you actually had some fun with it. So could you tell us a bit about that? <laughs> sure, sure. Yeah, that's that is always that is always a fun one. And and yeah, we my father and I, we we do not look alike at all, especially at first glance. I mean, a, a standing joke, even when he and I teach, uh, go on site and and teach for clients is, you know, we always say, hey, you know, I, I can tell by the look on your face, you're wondering if, if Chris and I are actually father and son. And, and in fact, we are. And I, I know it's easy to tell because we look so much alike. And that like that, probably, I don't know how much mileage I've gotten out of that, but that always gets a really good laugh. Because when they see us up front, they're always trying to figure out who we are and, you know, what we're doing there, especially when, because we look so different and they understood a father-son team was coming. So, you know, yeah, we walk into a room yeah, we definitely from a business context, we probably don't have quite as much fun with it because, uh, you know, we, we never we're never quite sure how people are going to react. But we, we definitely have a lot more fun with it out in public. And we were uh, one story is we were out in in Manhattan. We both love New York City. That's probably uh, our, if we could pick one favorite city on the whole planet. It would probably be New York for both of us. You know, I grew up in a, in the New Jersey area. Uh, grew up in Newark, and uh, and Chris spent 14 years in Manhattan with the FBI. So a lot of familiarity with that town. And we're down near um, the new trade center, and we uh, what were we doing? We're down at financial district meeting meeting with someone, and, and we got done with our meeting, and we're on our way out, and we're standing on a corner, and we're both hailing for a cab. We're both standing there with our arm out, and I don't I don't see him. He's next to me, but I wasn't really paying attention to him. And he thinks to himself, like, I'm not going to stand here and hold my arm up for a cab, right? Like, yeah, I'm with my son. He's he's almost twice my size. You know, if he's got his arm up, I'll let him hail the cab. I'm not going to stand here with my arm in the air. And uh, and sure enough, uh, a cab pulls up. And if, if you know anything about New York City, it is not uncommon for people to s- steal cabs from one another or, 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 or get into an argument over a cab, right? Whose cab it is. 
So this cabbie pulls up. It's probably, I think it's about 930 at night. And he jumps in one side of the cab and I walk around and jump in the other side. And he figures there's no way that this cabbie thinks that we're together. So as soon as I get in the cab, he looks at me and he goes, hey, pal, this is my cab. I ain't sharing. (laughs) And I look at him and I say, hey, shut your mouth, old man. You know, you can sit here and you can share a cab. And the the driver's head almost snapped off his neck when he when he turned his head around to look at us in the back of his cab. I mean, his I thought his neck was going to snap because he turned around so fast and he's got to be thinking, you know, because neither one of us are small. I'm bigger than he is, but he's still, you know, he's six one, you know, one hundred ninety five pounds. He's not he's not a small person. And he's got to be thinking, like, if these guys get into a a boxing match in my back seat, (laughs) like what? I I don't know what I'm going to do and the, the look on his face, I mean, it was just of fear and just confusion when he turned around and looked at us. And then, of course, we paused for a second and we looked at him. We looked at each other and then we just started laughing. And he just, you know, he was like, oh, thank God. Thank God. These guys are OK. I was so worried about like he didn't, I don't know if he was going to get out of the cab and run off or what he was going to do. <laughs> next. Oh, man. It would be awesome if he did. <laughs> well, yeah. yeah That'd be a great ending to the story. Then the cabbie got out of the cab and he took off into the darkness. Let's retell the story. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Somebody uh, somebody that's to start driving. I, I could have. But, I mean, how tall are you, Brandon? I'm not I'm not that tall. I'm, I'm, I'm wide, so I, I think sometimes I look taller. But I'm 6'2 and change, so I'm only about an inch, inch and a half taller than my dad. Gotcha. Man, so I love the, the little cute snippet that you gave out. That'll be my last question, I promise, of how your parents met and how your dad, you mentioned this, a rookie. I love that. It was so cute. <laughs> so tell us. Yeah, no, I think I think it's I, I think it's a cool story too. So my my dad grew up, he's a he's a Midwestern guy, and as it turns out, my my mother is a Midwestern gal. They just come from from uh different states that are that aren't that far apart. So my father always wanted to be a cop. You know, he read a book when he was a kid, uh, and I can't think of the name of the book, but it's these two cops, and what they did was awesome, and that's when he decided he wanted to be a police officer. So when he got out of, out of college, he uh, he went to Kansas City, Missouri, KCMO, and and became a police officer, and that's what he wanted to do, right? It was his dream job, and and as it turns out, there was a a, a, a dispatch that he was, he, he was quite attracted to who turned out to be my mom. So, it, you know, interesting and small, you know, my mother's originally from Kansas City, Missouri. That's where she grew up. And, and when she got to working age, she decided to get a job as a dispatch for the Kansas City Police Department. And she met this, this weird rookie cop that she, that she happened to fall in love with. And, you know, I'm, I'm lucky enough to be the result of that. But yeah, I think it's just a cool thing. I almost wish I had pictures that I could show of, my dad's first day on the job as a as a Kansas City Police Department officer because they they are quite amusing. He, he's he's very proud of himself in those photos. But yeah, just you know, yeah, she was a dispatch. She used to relay messages to him through the radio, and they got familiar <laughs> with one another and decided to get married. Moved to Jersey. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. I just I I wish we had recordings of those messages. <laughs> yeah, yeah, me too. <laughs> I think love stories from the old days. Um, to me, are way more interesting than the the ones that we're living through now. To be honest, you know, I, I think I'd agree with you there. I think in a lot of ways, it's I, I hate to use the word purity. Yeah, I, I don't know. If I, I think it's interesting. We have these days, we have much more technology to keep us in communication with one another and be able to relate to one another. But 
back in those days when we didn't have that technology, I, I feel like people were almost related to each other better. And, and yeah, it was, you know, this was back, let's see. Uh, so I'm, I'm, I was born 85. And so they got, they got married, I think 82. So that means they met like late seventies. And, and so, yeah, they didn't, you know, they didn't even have uh, cell phones then. And e- even pay phones were, were hard to find in, in that part of the world. Right. You're not like a pay phone on every corner, like in Manhattan at, at that time. But yeah, it's just, I, I, I think, I think it is a cool story. It's, it's, it's fun to imagine the two of them getting to know each other through, you know, in a police band and just simple business, right? Like there's a call at such and so intersection and then simply responding to that and then turning it into having conversations around the precinct and then that turning into, you know, hey, can I take you out on a date type of deal? And just the, the progression of how they came together. It's cool to think about. Mm, exactly. I feel like a lot of the stores are not quite the way we thought it would be. And even for my parents, it was like a very unlikely rescue story as well. So uh, you think sometimes you think about it, I was like, oh, I, I almost didn't happen. Like in a way, like what if, <laughs> you know, your dad decided to work elsewhere. I mean, it's, uh, yeah. Uh, thank you so much, Brandon. I really look forward to meeting you in person and uh, please let me know. That'd be so much fun. Yes. Yes. I, I look forward to us uh, getting, getting to shake your hand as well. And thanks for the time. Yeah, you're very welcome. I'll talk to you soon then. All right. Bye-bye. Hi there, it's me again. I want to thank you very much for listening to this episode, and I hope you were able to learn a few things. If you enjoyed what you heard, it would be hugely helpful if you could subscribe to the Face Royal podcast. It literally takes seconds. If you're on your mobile phone, Just search for Phase World Podcast in the podcast app on iPhone or an Android app such as Podcast Addict and click subscribe. All new episodes will be delivered to you automatically. Thanks so much for your support.